Well, good morning. It's great to be with you and enjoy some cold weather. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't get this cold where I, where I live in Fort Pierce. Anyone ever heard of Fort Pierce? One person. Wow. Okay, two. Okay, we got some people in the house. All right. I'm from Fort Pierce. Planted a church uh, just about 14 years ago. And uh, I've known your pastor. Uh, church family, what an amazing uh, devoted staff that the Lord has gifted this church with. Can you just show some extra love and appreciation for, for, the, for the staff of this church and how they're leading so well? And so I, I've had the privilege and the honor to preach the word of God a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then, of course, this morning. And um, what a privilege it is to have been to, to challenge the next generation, to turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God, amen? And that challenge is not just for middle school and high school students. It's not just for what we call the next generation, but that challenge is for all generations. It's for all generations. Night one, we pressed in on this word calling I preached from Acts chapter 16 and reminded how could Paul and Silas face beatings, floggings, and imprisonment, and then at midnight, pray and praise. It's because they pressed in on their, their calling. Night two, we talked about the word content, and we looked at Acts chapter 17 the content which we preach is Christ and Christ alone. And I challenged our students that we don't need to try and add anything to the content or take anything away from the content that we've been presented with, that the word of God is the truth and authority for our lives. The content we preach is Christ. Last night we looked at this word, courage. How do we turn this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus? It's by being courageous, taking courage. And today I want to press in on another word, and it's the word commission. Would you write that word down? Commission. We have been commissioned by Christ to turn this world upside down with the gospel of Christ. And once again, this is a call not just for the next generation, but all generations, that we as the church have been commissioned by Christ Jesus to turn this city of Niceville, this county of Okaloosa, this state of Florida, the world, to turn it upside down with the gospel of Christ. Acts chapter 1, I would invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. It's a familiar text if you've been in church any length of time, but, but I pray that the Lord would just reveal some fresh truth, remind us of some old truths in our time uh, today. And so Acts chapter 1, could we just pray that together right now? Could we just pause and, and just pray that? Lord, would you just remind us of some old truths and Lord, would you teach us some new truths from your word, your living 
an active word. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 1, in verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I, we uh, believe it refers to Luke. Luke, who wrote this first narrative, or the former account, which would have been the Gospel of Luke. We see that in the opening letter of the Gospel of Luke, that he's writing to Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them. After he suffered, our Savior, the suffered, the, the beatings, the flogging, the, the, the crucifixion, the, the, the mocking, the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus after all of which he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Our Savior, after all these sufferings, enduring all these sufferings, he, he appeared to uh, some 500 people with convincing proofs that he was in fact alive. We serve a risen Savior, amen, church? After appearing over a period of 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God, verse 4, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Everyone say wait. But to wait for the Father's promise. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. But to wait for the Father's promise, which Jesus, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. L listen, church, if we are going to fulfill the great commission, this holy charge from Jesus himself to the church, then we must believe that God always keeps his promises. Would you write that down? Believe that God always keeps his promises. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples in the upper room. Do, do you remember this? He gathered his disciples in the, the upper room and told them that he would send them another helper, the Holy Spirit, who would be with them and in them. What God said he would do, he has done. He has sent the Holy Spirit just like he promised. Did, do you see? Jesus said, uh, he said, wait. For the promise. Wait for the promise. Now some 600 years prior to this moment, we, we see the words from the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, would you write that reference down? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Pause, what a beautiful Old Testament picture of the coming Messiah who would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Acts chapter 1, the disciples were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, right? He, the Holy Spirit comes. God's promise was fulfilled some 10 days later in Acts chapter 2. And this is so encouraging for us because this is God being faithful to his promise. This is God doing what he said he would do. This is God faithfully moving among us to accomplish his purpose. And the best way to the best way to build trust. You ever consider what's the best way to build trust? Counsel with a lot of young couples looking to looking to marriage and we we talk about how how do we how do, how, how do we build trust? How do we lay that foundation of trust? The best way to to build trust is to make promises and keep them. It's that your yes would be yes and your no would be no and that you would follow through in commitment to keeping your promise. In a world that's non-committal, may the church be committed. <laughs> and this is not just true in your home, but it's also true in this home. Whatever that commitment is that you would follow through in your commitment and allow the Lord to bless your life through your obedience. The Lord, church, the Lord can be trusted because he keeps his promises. The Lord can be trusted. You, you, you think about those different times in your life that the Lord has come through. There's an old song we, we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. I think there's just times, I, I know there's times in my life when just nothing seems to be going right. Has anyone ever experienced that? Nothing seems to add up. Nothing seems to be going uh, how I thought it should, should, should work itself out. And, and the Lord reminds me, take a step back and just count all the things that I've done for you. Oh, what a different perspective. Everything changes. The Lord can be trusted because he keeps his promises. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, would you write this reference down? Hebrews 10, 23, scripture says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Do, do you hear that scripture today, church? Let us hold on to the hope that we have without wavering. Let us stand firm. Let us hold on to the promises of God because he who promised is faithful. If we're going to fulfill the great commission, then we must believe that God always keeps his promises. Secondly, would you write this down? If we're going to fulfill the great commission, we must believe that God has a plan. That God has a plan. Look at verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. If we're going to fulfill the great commission, we need to believe that God always has a plan. He always has a plan. And so what's happening here, this is easy. You could miss this easily 
And I don't want you to do that today. The apostles still believed the earthly form of the kingdom of God would soon be reestablished. That's what they were hoping for. In this time, in this moment, they were under severe uh, persecution and oppression by the Roman Empire. And so they were hoping that, that, that Jesus was going to change everything, was going to uh, uh, free them, was going to save them. And Jesus was, was doing something bigger than they could ever imagine. In this, in this moment. Listen, you may not know the future, but I can assure you that God will be faithful. As you trust him for the future, as you, as you trust him, be encouraged that he will be faithful. See, God, God alone is, is sovereign and in control. There's only one who knows all the details of the plan, who's on the other side of the plan. I mean, we can just begin to dream up a plan. But we serve a God who is faithful, who knows every detail, who's already on the other side, absolutely in control of all things. God's plans are bigger and better than our plans could ever be. And this is true even in the most challenging moments of life. It's easy to agree to this when things are going your way and when, when the plan that you set forth, you know, that at a certain age you would get married and then you would have kids and you'd have this dream home and the jobs and the vacations and whatever that plan was that you set out. But when things don't go how you thought they would go and things get challenging, Things get difficult. It's even in those moments that we serve a God who can be trusted, the God who is absolutely in control, the one who is ruling and reigning over all creation from his throne. Church, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. And he has a plan. And we need to trust his plan. You know, you are exactly right here, right now, where God wants you to be. I meet a whole lot of people that question why they ever came to Florida, ever came to Fort Pierce. And maybe you've asked the same question, why? Why would I come here? God, why would you send me here? You ever, you ever ask that question, God, why this job? You're looking for the next one. You're, you're on Indeed every night. <laughs> and, and, and you spend all this time questioning, 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 rather than being faithful to serving God and allowing him to work out his plan and see it through to completion. Church, be faithful. God knows the next. And would you trust him for the next? Number three, if we are going to be, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, then we must believe that the gospel is for all people. We, we have got to believe that the gospel is for all people. And, 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 and not just know it, have the knowledge of it, but love like it. We, we need to love like we really believe it. That Jesus went to that cross and he suffered horrifically for my sins and the sins of the world. So that every race, every nationality would have the opportunity 
to come to faith in Christ Jesus and be forgiven and set free. Amen? We need to believe that the gospel is for all people. Look at verse 8, one of the most familiar texts in all of the scriptures. But you will receive power. Listen to Jesus' words. You will receive power. Power. Now, this word power is the Greek word dunamis, and it comes, it's, it's an explosive power. It's not just like a little bit of power, you know? It's not just like that little bit of, of power that, that you might have. It's this explosive power. It's this supernatural power. It, it's that power that, 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 that at the end of the day, you're like, I don't, got, I don't have it, but God's got it, right? It's, it's that power living inside of you. And I want to remind you of that today. You're like, I just don't know if I can keep going on. Yes, you can because the power of the living God lives inside of you. And you can keep going on because he lives. You can face tomorrow. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Now, oftentimes we have a poor translation of, of what Jesus is saying here. We have the translation oftentimes that it's just a spectator. I watched a lot of college football yesterday. Anybody watch any college football games? Go Gators, okay? And so uh, it's a rough season, a rebuild. And so uh, we've got to celebrate. But uh, I watched a lot. There was a lot, of, there was a lot of spectators. There was a lot of spectators. But how many of you know that Jesus has not called the church to be spectators? Now, Jesus has called us to be active to be active, to actively share the gospel. There's no accident that you are right where you're at. There's no accident that you live right where you live. There's no accident those neighbors, those neighbors just moved in next door. There's no accident that you work in this job and, and, and you, have, you see these coworkers. There's no accident, all of this. There's no accident. God has a, he has a, he has a plan and the gospel's for all people. Even those worst kind of people. And by the way, uh, lovingly, you and I are the worst kind of people. There, there's, there's no one good. There's n none righteous. No, not one. All of us in need are in need desperately of the grace of God. The gospel is for all people. And once we connect that personally, then we can begin to live it out in the way that Jesus has called us to live out the gospel. You will be my witnesses. This word witness, not a spectator, it's a martyr. Not a spectator, it's a martyr. It's one that's willing to lay down his or her life for a greater good. And we understand that that greater good is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? That, that's the call in our lives. The call in our lives to be willing to lay it all out there. No matter what happens. I preached three nights in a row to the middle school and high school students of this church, the majority of them, I understand some weren't able to come. But each night, there was a hard call. There was a hard call to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. They're like, whoa, yo, that, no, that's too, no, that's exactly what the church needs to hear. That that's the calling on our lives to preach the gospel then we die and we meet Jesus and, and then we're forgotten so that his name might be known. The Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea 
and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He, he encourages the disciples. He encourages them to, to be a gospel witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, right there where they're at in Jerusalem. Then he broadens it to the surrounding area uh, that is Judea. Then, then he broadens it to the north, which is Samaria. And then finally, he tells them to the ends of the world. To the ends. So the end might know and be saved. What, what a calling. What a, what a calling. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. I mean, just get this visual with me, right? Just get this visual. Here they are. Jesus has just commissioned them. He's just charged them. And they, they watch him ascend into heaven. And as they're gazing into heaven, these two angels appear. And what do they, what do they tell? Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. What an assurance that Jesus is coming back. What an assurance in this moment. Do you see it with me from the pages of Scripture? What an assurance that Jesus is coming back. I wonder how many even today find yourself just standing and staring. You're just standing and staring. Would you think about that just for a moment? There's work to be done right there in Jerusalem. There's preparation so that when the promise is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, that they're ready to take the gospel to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. There's a preparation, and we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But as I've stated every night of this day now, I believe that the Lord is raising up a generation of fully devoted Christ followers to turn this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus. I believe that the Lord is doing a great work. And here's my challenge for you, the older generation of this church. The older generation of this church, would you listen and lean in just for a moment? We look to Titus and we see a very clear instruction that the older men are to teach the younger men and the older women are to teach the younger women. What a call for the older folks of this church, the older generation of this church to live out the however many remaining days of their lives commissioned by Christ Jesus to lead the next generation, to pour into the next generation, to come alongside of the next generation. I can't think of better opportunity than right here, right now, than those that, who, that have walked through some, some hard moments of life. And each one, I'm sure, you have your story. Everyone has a story. And, and to be able to pour into 
a younger generation and let them know that because of Jesus Christ, it will be okay, that he will never leave them nor forsake them. To be able to share your testimony, to be able to pour your wisdom over the years of studying the scriptures into the, the younger generation. What an opportunity for the church to rise up and truly make an investment, leaving a legacy. If what we're doing in here doesn't get out there, then we are not being the church that God has called us to be. Now, don't get me wrong, as a, as a preacher, man, I, I love some Sunday gatherings. I, I, I enjoy, as your pastor does, I, I enjoy seeing people face to face. One of the hardest uh, uh, years of ministry we have just passed, trying to preach through a camera. I mean, good grief. Uh, praise God, we're, we're, we're through that. And, but there's something about singing with you and seeing you, and, and that mutual encouragement to encourage one another, digging into God's word together, there's something special when we gather. That there's something special about it. But it's not the only thing. And certainly this building is not the church. Jesus didn't come and die for a building or for a property or for an address or a landmark. He came to die for, for people. It's the people of the church. And so we must take this commission seriously and live it out. We have been commissioned by Christ to turn this world upside down with the gospel of Christ. Did a little bit of research on Okaloosa County. I, I didn't even know the name of this county. Okaloosa, I had to say it like 10 times to make sure I didn't stumble over my words, Okaloosa. What I found, whether it's accurate or not, just go with me. Uh, it's 214,000 people, rough numbers, is the population of Okaloosa County. And so then further study and conversations with your pastor and others, somewhere, somewhere we're just going to say 50% is connected to a local church. And so what that leaves us with is some 107,000 that aren't connected that we know of to a local church. And even of the 50 that are connected, we don't know where they stand before the Lord. That's between them and the Lord. But what we, what we do know is that if it is 107,000 people, oh, it's too many that are without the hope of Jesus. Listen, if it's one person in Okaloosa County without the hope of Jesus, it's one too many. We have been commissioned by Christ to preach the gospel where he sends us. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes, stated these words, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. 
What a calling for the church. I, I, I say, what an exciting time to be alive. That the Lord Jesus would save me and would call me to tell others about him, what he's done for me that he can do for them. And the same is true for you, no matter how young or old you might be. What an opportunity. So as we close, how do we, how do we prepare? How do we prepare to do this? We see in verse 12, we see that the disciples, after they got that tap on the shoulder from the angels staring off into heaven, they, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And, and then we see that they arrived and they went to the, uh, the upper room. And, uh, and then we see in verse 14, look, look closely, verse 14, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so the question is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? I mean, could you imagine? They're, they're staring off into heaven. The angel says, hey, what you doing? Why are you staring? Uh, just the same way he, he went up, the same way he's coming down. <laughs> so they return and they're like, what do we do now? You know, Jesus holds the weight. I don't know. You know, the problem. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Here's what you do. Man, you pray. You pray. You pray. And you don't stop praying. Until Acts chapter 2. And we see the result of prayer. Man, I pray that this would be a praying church. I hope that this is a, a praying church and that prayer unites this, this church. If there's division in your home, you know what I would encourage you to start doing? Start praying together as a family. And then don't stop praying. There's something about prayer, how prayer unites us. And I'm not just talking about like the old school. I've been in a lot of churches, been in, in church my whole life. And, and, and sadly, I've been, to, been a part of some churches growing up where it was like that prayer gathering was like the gossip hour, right? And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we're on our knees before the living God crying out. Crying out for the needs of his church, for the needs of our community, for the needs of our world that the church would rise up. See, prayer unites us, prepares us. It unites us and prepares us. The enemy would love nothing more than division. That's what he's all about. I told the students the other night that Satan hates every one of them. And that's the truth. I mean, Satan hates you. He wants utter destruction for your life. He wants division in your home. Division in this church. Because division leads to destruction. And so my challenge as we close this worship gathering, my challenge is that for you to take a moment and pause and pray. And say, Lord, what needs to change in me? What needs to change in me? Lord, it, it, would you reveal to me, the areas that I'm not living for you? Lord, would you grow a boldness inside of me to tell others about you? To be able to proclaim the gospel at every opportunity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just for a moment, would you pray that simple prayer, Lord, what is my response today? Would you pray that simple prayer, Lord, what is my response today?
Lord, I want to be found faithful. Maybe there's some things going on in your life that you know that aren't pleasing to, to the Lord. They're not honoring God. And so today, before we go any further, you would, you would surrender those things over to the Lord. Maybe there's someone here that's never reached out and accepted the gift of salvation. And today would be the day of salvation for you. Today would be the day that you say, Lord Jesus... I am a sinner and you are the Savior. And I trust you completely to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe in you that you came to this earth, died on a cross, placed in a grave, and rose victorious for me. So today I trust you. And maybe there's someone as this, the band sings these words. There's someone that's heavy on your heart. Maybe there's someone heavy on your heart today that's walked away from the church or walked away from the faith and, and, and you would spend a moment just crying out for them. Maybe it's that coworker or neighbor and you're struggling to show the love of Jesus and, and just in this moment, you would pray for yourself and for them and you would trust the Lord to do a work today.